We are going to be in 2 Peter, if you will turn there with me. And today I wanted to look at the first four verses of this incredible letter, which was written by the at-one-time sleepy-headed, abrupt, sword-swinging, quick-to-react-failing fisherman Peter, we all know, right? I'm sure you're familiar with him. Uh, And we all know that he did start off a little shaky, but he eventually lived up to the name Jesus gave him, Petros, Peter, which means rock, right? Way before Dwayne Johnson grabbed hold of that name, Jesus gave it to the spirit-led author of this remarkable epistle. And even though Peter did write two New Testament letters, uh, they both had distinct purposes. First Peter is a letter about keeping a heavenly perspective and shining brightly to the lost world, while Second Peter is all about standing strong in the knowledge of God, as Peter's primary objective is to warn of false teachers who would try and taint the truth, especially the good news of Jesus Christ, which was of great concern for Peter back then, just as it is in our day today. Because what we believe matters, right? You know, you you can't, the whole your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth thing, it doesn't fly. There's one truth, Jesus Christ, amen? Second Peter was most likely written just a couple years after first Peter, but possibly only months before Peter's pilgrimage on earth will end by martyrdom and he will join his Lord Jesus in glory. Actually, second Peter is our beloved fisherman's swan song, one that is bursting with passion for the Lord. And even though we're only going to look at the first four verses this morning, I believe we can easily see that Peter is determined to get us to focus all on trusting solely in the Lord. So let's dive in. We're going to look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 this morning. But before we look at the passage, will you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for your love, and thank you for this church. My brothers and sisters here today, Lord, thank you for those things that you're doing here at Calvary Almani, a lot of things going on. What a blessing, Lord, that you can use them in this community, Lord, that I know needs you so bad. I just lift up Pastor Manny to you as well. Thank you that uh, he's just such a man of God, loves this church, is called by you, and faithfully delivers your truth. Keep leading this church, doing great things. And, and even today, Lord, we ask that you'd open your word up to us. Lord, speak to us. We want to hear what your spirit is saying to the church today, Lord, right now. We welcome you here to do that. In Jesus' name. And then we're going to read the first four verses, beginning verse one. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. As I'm sure you can tell already from simply reading through this this text, Peter has come a long way, hasn't he? He no longer suffers from foot-in-mouth disease, as some people say. And there's so much here. But it's so interesting to me what Peter does. As I mentioned before we read the text, Peter's main concern is false teachers coming in and pulling people away from the true message of Jesus Christ. But as you can see, Peter doesn't begin by introducing himself and then going, beware. Beware of the false teachers that'll come in and try and pull you away from God. 
He didn't do that, did he? No, he will warn of their ways in this epistle as it moves forward. But before he does any of that, Peter wants to establish us in the truth, what we are to believe and know as Christians. And I believe Peter does that to so ground us in what is true, because the more we know what is true, the easier it is to spot what is not true, what is false and error. And he begins it all by expressing to us the wonderful privileges and blessings that each one of us believers have in Christ. That even though there are struggles with the flesh, the the old nature is still there battling against us, he reminds us that we are new creations in Christ, born again believers who have a new nature and new desires that have been imparted to us directly by God himself. Peter longs to encourage each one of us to know that God has held nothing back from us, but has given us all we need to live a dynamic life of faith. I mean, that already sounds faith-building amazing, right? (laughs) I think it's so good, I'm going to say it again. Peter longs to encourage each one of us to know that God has held nothing back from us, but has given us all we need to live a dynamic life of faith. And we'll detail that, but first Peter opens his letter in verse 1 by referring to himself as Simon Peter. Simon Peter. Fascinating. He combines Simon, his birth name, the name he was known for his whole life before Jesus, with the name Jesus gave to him. Peter, Petros, again meaning rock. Which Peter probably loved Jesus calling him. I mean, I just picture Peter every time he said Peter, I, believe, I just picture him sticking out his chest, going, wow, <laughs> Jesus called me. He thinks I'm strong in the faith. It feels good that he calls me Peter. Real good that he calls me Peter. But as you know, Jesus didn't always call Peter, Peter. Even after renaming him, Jesus at times still called him Simon. And those were usually the moments when Peter needed a little bit of correction. Some rebuking, maybe. Like in the garden, you'll remember, as Jesus was in anguish, praying with those great drops of blood, sweat drops of blood, to the Father. As he was doing that, what was Peter doing when he should have been praying? He was sleeping, right? He was zonked out. So Jesus said to him, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake one hour? There in other places, when he heard Simon from Jesus, I mean, you could almost picture Peter squirming uncomfortably. Possibly thinking, oh, call me Simon. What did I do this time? How did I blow it? Maybe going, when is Jesus going to call me the rock again? I like it so much better when he called me that. It felt good. Call me Simon. Well, here Peter introduces himself as both Simon Peter. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe to remain in that place of humility. Or possibly, even though he, was, he has grown Im- immensely, even though he was transformed by the Lord, Peter knows there's still some internal work that needs to be done. There's still some Simon left in there. He has not attained spiritual perfection, and he recognizes it. Just like you and me, we're growing, but there's still some old of us in there, that, war, that, that battle inside that we war against. But notice he didn't just settle with Simon either. He finishes off with Peter, showing the new creation life is there, and it's to be emphasized just like we are to emphasize in our life as well. Yes, there are mistakes. Yes, there is the past and the battle within, but there's newness of life. There's a new identity in Jesus that we as believers, we get to walk in, amen? 
He introduces himself as Simon Peter, and then also, fascinating, he calls himself a bondservant and apostle. A bondservant and apostle. I mean, to me, that almost sounds like an oxymoron. You know what oxymoron? Those are the two words that don't seem to go together. Things like jumbo shrimp, bittersweet, soft rock, or honest politician. <laughs> words like that, bondservants, apostle. And bondservant is the Greek word doulos, which was a position in, in life that was the lowest of the low. One that was bound to serve. A, a doulos was a slave. But he also says apostle. Apostle means sent one. And an apostle was a position of great authority in the church. A leadership role that was given to a select few and is no longer a position around today in that same sense. Peter says he is a bondservant. He's a slave, but also one with authority. An apostle. Who was sent by, notice this, by Jesus Christ. Which, by the way, is not the Lord's full name. Just so you guys know that. Jesus Christ is not his full name. It's not like when, if you, if you know he signed a document or something. Okay, Jesus Christ. First name Jesus, last name Christ. No, no that's not it. Jesus is his name. Christ is his title. Jesus means the Lord is salvation or savior. How fitting is that for our Lord? Well, so is his title, Christ. Christ. Christ means anointed one. It's the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah, which speaks of him alone being the promised one to come who can save, who alone can save, redeem, and rescue people. Simon Peter says, Jesus, the promised one who alone can save, this is the one I serve. This is the one I am led by. In his introduction, he's showing us that he has submitted his life entirely to the lordship of Jesus. That Peter is who he is, not because of himself, but because of Jesus. And his calling and life is completely given over to his master, Jesus Christ. Which I have to say, is the absolute best thing that we can do. The best person to give control over to is Jesus Christ. Amen? I mean, you could choose, go ahead, you could choose to try and make it on your own. Whatever you want, do those things on your own. You can try and, and be your own Lord. Or you can, you can let others, other things in this world master you, which many of us have, come from that. But the answer to a life of purpose, to a life of peace and hope and, a, a, and spiritual abundance is one that is fully submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. <laughs> The anointed one who alone has the power to save. Can anyone testify with me on that today? And Peter, Peter does carry that thought to us as he says in the second part of the verse. He says, he's writing to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now this is so incredible. And one of those mind-blowing like statements. I mean, can you grasp what he's saying right here? Peter's saying... We have the same exact advantaged, privileged faith that he and all the other apostles had. Yes, Peter was called, by, called to have authority, that place of authority as an apostle. Yes, he got to walk with Jesus and listen to his instruction firsthand. And that's huge. It's a huge privilege. I mean, certainly I believe, even though he's writing this three decades after his time being there physically with Jesus, I'm sure Peter could close his eyes and we still remember the tone of Jesus' voice. Maybe the cadence of his words when Jesus spoke. You know, he could picture the way Jesus smiled. Maybe even the Lord's distinct laugh. I'm confident he could remember the divine carpenter's strength as maybe he wrapped his arm 
around his buddy fisherman. I mean, yet God in the flesh, Emmanuel embracing him. And unquestionably, I'm sure Peter never could forget all the miraculous things. You know, seeing Jesus cleansing lepers, healing sick, giving sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, speech to the mute. I mean, Peter even saw the wind and waves obeying Jesus. Nature itself obeyed Jesus and calmed when Jesus said those words, peace be still. Peter saw all this. I mean, that plus the greatest of all, Peter even saw Jesus appear resurrected after his death on the cross. And though it's true that Jesus met with most of the other disciples, Luke tells us the day Jesus rose, Peter had a special one-on-one meeting with Jesus. I mean, it's amazing, right? I mean, all these things are amazing what Peter got to experience. But what's also amazing is Peter says, even though he had all those magnificent experiences with Jesus, we who didn't experience any of those things are in the very same spiritual place that he, Peter, and the other disciples are. (laughs) That they have no advantage over us. We are all in the same boat. Peter's saying we have the same faith that he had. It's like, right? And we're only in the first verse right now. But it's like Peter actually comprehended Jesus' words to Doubting Thomas, who you know missed out on Jesus' first appearing after the resurrection and said those forever haunting words to others. You know, unless I see the holes in his hands and physically stick my finger in there, I am not going to believe. Remember he said that? And then what happens? Jesus supernaturally beams in the room like, right? And what did he say to Thomas? He said, Thomas, have at it. Go for it. And to that, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. One of those powerful deity statements that we have. But I do personally wonder if Thomas was like, I can't believe I said that. And now I'm like forever known as Doubting Thomas. And my blunder is in scripture for everyone to read all the time and to be mocked. Deservedly so, right? (laughs) But I'm actually really glad that Thomas did that. I'm I'm glad that he did because, again, we have one of the most powerful deity statements in Scripture. That, but we also have Jesus' response to Thomas, which was this. He said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. He said, blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed, which is you and me today. You know, Peter, listen to this. And we know he did because of what he says here, but also in his first epistle, Peter said this, in chapter 1, verse 8 of 1 Peter, Peter says, though you have not seen him, talking about Jesus, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Which means, church, even though we don't see Jesus physically, we can walk with him, and we can know he is there for us through it all. And even though we don't have the privilege of, of seeing, we didn't have the privilege of seeing the empty tomb or Jesus alive that glorious day, we can have the assurance that we will see him. When our pilgrimage here is over, we will get to see the Lord face to face and be with him forever in his presence, just like Peter. Can I get an amen to that? And the reason, what's the reason? The reason is faith which Peter, Peter calls precious. You know, precious, that's Peter's word in the Bible. 
way before the Lord of the Rings capitalized on that word, you know, and called the Ring of Power or whatever it was that was forged in Mordor or whatever it says. Way before that, Peter embraced and used this word precious. Eight times in his two epistles, we read Greek words that are translated precious. And this particular word for precious means honored, it means valued or esteemed. Peter is calling our faith precious. He's saying our common position in the faith, our salvation that is shared among all believers is precious. It's esteemed and valued. It's a place to be honored and cherished. But as you guys know, it's not because of anything we've done to earn or achieve it. No, Peter says our salvation, he uses the word obtained, which means received by divine allotment. It is imparted. This salvation is is given. It is gifted to us by God. We don't obtain it by being worthy because of all the sacrifices we make to acquire it. No, we receive it because the only one who is worthy gave everything to acquire it on our behalf when he sacrificed himself in our place upon the cross. When he bore our sin and shame so we can be forgiven and placed into a right relationship with God. (laughs) Peter says we have obtained this precious faith, the same salvation he has. Notice the the last phrase of verse 1. By the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. This is how we are saved and the only way we are saved. It's not by our own righteousness, which by the way, could never save anyone. It's only through the perfect one who never sinned one day in his life, but became sin in our place. Jesus, Savior, the Lord of salvation, Christ, the anointed, promised one who alone can save. It's only through him. Who Peter calls, do you see this? Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So important. Peter's not saying, on one side, our God, and on the other side, our Savior, Jesus Christ. No, he's describing a single person. Here, Peter is calling Jesus God. Just like Thomas did when he believed, just like the Apostle Paul did when he said we are to be, Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. And just like the Apostle John did to kick off his gospel when he proclaimed, in the beginning was the Word. It's Jesus, right? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. They're all proclaiming it. We need to proclaim it as well. Just like we are to believe as well. If we want to be saved, if we want to be forgiven and spend forever in heaven with him, we must believe that Jesus is the Savior, but he's also God. He's not a created being. John 1, 3, all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. Colossians 1, 5, talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the second person of the triune God. He is God the Son the one who stepped down from eternity to save you and me and alone is able to do it. How about another amen? (laughs) And Peter said that. Peter said that here. He said it in Acts 4.12 when he said, salvation is found in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Peter said this. He believed this. And we are to believe this with our whole hearts as well. And I pray you do because Peter says, for all of us who do, verse two, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Let me ask you, do you want grace? (laughs) 
You want his unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. Getting what you don't deserve, which includes salvation, but continual grace through our life, even throughout all eternity. Do you want grace? Do you want peace? You know, the world, I don't know if you know this or not, they're searching for peace, aren't they? They're looking everywhere for peace. Many Christians are trying to find peace. There's one answer for peace. That the place to find both grace and peace is in the Prince of Peace, in the person Jesus. And it's always grace first and then peace. It's not the other way around. You can't experience peace with God or the peace of God until you experience the grace of God. And that is through Jesus. But in him, grace and peace are flourishing. You see what Peter says? Grace and peace be multiplied to you. I don't know about you, but you gotta love this. Notice he doesn't say, here's your one measure of grace and peace. This is all you got. Don't spend it all in one place because this is all you got. You want and you're done. No, not like that. And he doesn't even say that grace and peace will be added to you. He breaks out the multiplication table right here. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Are there any math people in here? Mathematicians, people who really like math? Yeah, a couple of you strange folk. And I'm not one of you math lovers, but this is the math that I dig. (laughs) Knowing that grace and peace is never subtracted away or even added, but multiplied. Now that's the kind of math I understand. I want to understand, right? But I think about this, this is what he has for us. I mean, how many times do we use this Christian lingo? And we talk about grace. And we talk about peace. But this is real. This is not just words to throw around. This is meaningful, that grace and peace is to be multiplied to, to us. Do you know what grace means? Grace means when you've blown it and you've made mistakes, that God will pick you back up. You know what peace means? Peace means when you're in turmoil, when those, those waves are raging, those waves in life are raging, the wind is blowing, howling, that Jesus can come in and say, peace, be still, and give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. And this is how good and how powerful our great God and Savior Jesus Christ is. Grace and peace be multiplied. And next, Peter, he really ignites things when he says the next few verses. I want to read from two to four. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you and the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I mean, this is a, just should blow our minds. This statement of truth. This so reminds me of Ephesians chapter one. You guys are studying Ephesians, I hear, right, on Sundays? Where Paul, do you remember when he just, just goes <laughs> and he just breaks out all these theological truths? And there at the very, very beginning of chapter one, Paul says things like, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You remember that? And he says, you've been chosen before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless. You've been predestined to adoption. And, and then we've been accepted and redeemed and forgiven and on and on and on and goes. And it's like he wrote it, but if he was to speak it, he would like do it all in one breath. It'd be like, and then he would just go and let us have it. Peter does the same thing here. And this statement shouldn't be one that just carries us through today, but through our whole Christian lives. 
through all the immorality we see taking place in society, as we have to live in the midst of it. I mean, you guys see it, right? I mean, Henry joked about it, wearing your bulletproof vest and everything when you go out. But this world is tough. This world's tough. And we know where it's headed. We, you know, kind of given the end of the story, right? We have the end of the book. And we know what is happening to this world until Jesus come back, comes back and restores all things. This world's going, right? And, but we can be strengthened through it. You know, through the hardships and trials of life, through the times of temptation, whatever we are personally facing, what we read right here, it's a long sentence, a really long sentence. It covers three verses. But it's a sentence, a statement that should bring such assurance and perspective and hope. Because what we are told here is God is powerful. God's got this. Really what we're told here is God's got us. He's got us. And he gives us all that we need in life to make it and to have our faith excel. Do you believe that? But do we really believe that? I don't know if we really believe it. Because sometimes we might think we are on our own. And we have to do everything to try and figure out how to make it here. You know, maybe we picture God looking down, going, what are you complaining about? I saved you. I'm going to deliver you to heaven one day. You figure out everything else on your own. Stop complaining. We think of those kind of things, that he's, he's not, but not involved. He is so involved. He is so involved. And this tells us that God equips us with all we need in our spiritual lives, which is some powerful stuff, literally. Peter says in verse 3, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His divine power. I mean, doesn't that just sound extraordinary in itself? His divine power. And it is. That word for power is the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. It is, it's explosive. Dunamis, it speaks of great power and strength and ability. But this far exceeds any power we can conjure up on our own. This power is divine, it says. It is from the heavenlies. It comes directly from God himself. And so it fills out, church, think about who exactly we're talking about. Think about how powerful he is. He made the stars and galaxies, the planets and sun. He's the one who parted the Red Sea, who had the power over death itself, the resurrection. The one who did all that, Peter says, gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You know, it's crazy. I did this, this intense study before I came, this detailed study. Spent hours upon hours upon hours looking at the word all. You know what the word all means? It means all. <laughs> That's what it means. I didn't really spend hours upon hours there. All means all. He gives us all things. You hear that? All things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything we need to make it to get through this life, which means we don't have to walk in defeat, which means we don't have to be consumed with fear or devastation by every single difficulty that comes upon us. There is strength. There is grace. There is peace that God will give us. Actually, Peter tells us he has already given it to us. Did you catch that? Verse three, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. If you are in Christ, if you are a born again believer, you already have everything you need, which means we don't have to play the waiting game. You know, we don't need to scream to this guy, God, when are you going to give me some grace? When are you going to give me the peace that I'm looking for? When, 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 when? 
We don't have to do that. Of course, we need to wait on his leading. But the grace and the peace and all we need in life is there for us now. Church, it's, it's accessible for us now. We just need to tap into it. Really, this means we need to learn how to trust the Lord in the midst of all that we face. And I'm looking at some of your faces, those of you who are awake. Some of you look at me and go, oh, great, he's doing the pastor thing. (laughs) Just trust God. That's what he's going to tell us. Trust God. Lean on him. I'm going to tell you the pastor thing. Trust God. Lean on him. Because that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. And we are to grow in that. We are to learn how to do it. And the more we grow in it, the more we mature in it, the more we will understand what we're talking about now, that he has given us everything that we need, everything that we need to make it, all things that pertain to life and godliness, we have now. I like what Warren Wearsby said. He said, when you are born into the family of God, by faith in Christ, you are born complete. Nothing has to be added. But he said, just as a normal baby is born with all the equipment he needs for life, and only needs to grow. Check this out. So the Christian has all that is needed and only needs to grow. God never has to call back any of his models because something is lacking or faulty. If you are a born-again believer, you have everything you need in Christ. It's right there for you. You just need to grow and learn and mature so that you could fully embrace it and walk in it. That's a good question. Is is that always the case? Does time and number of years saved equal maturity? (laughs) It should. It should to some degree. But that's not always the case. We can be stagnant for years, even decades. We can backslide and be caught up with the ways of this world. We can look to the world for answers. We can look to ourselves. We can stay stagnant. We can hinder our maturity. (laughs) Well, what's the answer? How do we mature? How do we grow and come to that place? He tells us in the second part of verse three, he says, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. You know, you want to know how to grow spiritually? The answer, the way to do it, is through the knowledge of him, through Jesus. But that word for knowledge that that Peter uses is not just a a heady knowledge. It's not getting all our theological uh, terms situated as best we can to know about God. No, this word for knowledge, it speaks of experiential knowledge. It's relational. It's personal. The more we know Christ and grow in him, the more spiritually mature we will be. It's it's, it's really like getting to know someone else, someone in our lives. And, And you know, I mean, it could be a sibling. It could be a friend. It could be a spouse. When you know them, this is, this is when it happens. You know, recently my wife and, and I were invited to like a get-together, like a party. I was so amazed that someone invited me to a party. <laughs> Actually, I think they invited her, and she asked if I could come along, and they said, if you have to bring them. No, <laughs> but I remember we were sitting at a table with some people that we, we never met. I went to go get food, obviously. That's what I do. So I went to go get some food, and I, was, I came back. She was in this deep or detailed conversation with these people, they talking about you know place uh, that they had in common, and they, we didn't know them, and and they had this conversation, and, and she's talking, and she's she's talking about these things. This is my beautiful wife over here, by the way, Anicia. Um, uh, we figured out today that we've been married for seventeen years. Just so you know, like how many years we were married? Okay, seventeen. That's good. I got to know that before I teach. Um, 
but she was talking, and when I came back, she's, she's talking about all these, uh, like, these things, and I'm like, I know all this. <laughs> like, this is, not, this is not news to me. I already know where she's from, which is Bakersfield, California, which is unfortunate, right? <laughs> I know that she went to school in New York, which is really cool, right? <laughs> and I know that she's a photographer, which is really fun. I know she's funky, and I know a lot about her. But, but I know these things. They're basic to me, and I wasn't sitting there like, I'm bored learning these things. But I was sitting there um, just realizing, like, I know all these things, and I know all these things because I've experienced her. We had our time of courting together before we were married. We had our first years of marriage. You know, we, we went traveling together. Probably should have traveled more with her. I should have taken her family. <laughs> but, and then we had kids together, you know, and, and right now we have three boys, so really pray for her because she's got three boys and I'm the worst of them. But, you know, we learn those things. You have those times together, right? You grow together with your spouse, and, and you, you learn these things. You have those mountaintop experiences, traveling, having our, our kids. Uh, one of our closest friends from church just had a baby. And you're just like, when you see the baby that's like this big, right? You're like, oh, my goodness. Your voice gets really high. Mine's already high, but it gets really high. And you're like, oh, my goodness, look at that cute little baby. And you're holding them, and you're like, and you're thinking back about when you held your kids. And you're like, oh, my goodness. My, son's first, my oldest son's 12 now. His name's Caleb. I was like, I remember when Caleb was like that. When I just held him all those years, I just fell in love with this little ball of fat. All he was was a ball of fat, but I fell in love with it, you know? And you have these mountaintop experiences, and you're like, oh, my, these, all these amazing things that you'll get to have with your spouse. And, you know, our first child, he was, it was mountaintop. As we learn how to be parents, we have no idea to do this, but God met us. And we had that, a mountaintop. And then our, our second child was a valley. It was a valley in, in the sense that I said I have three boys, but I have a daughter. I, I have a daughter who's in heaven uh, waiting for us. And, you know, I ha- she lived seven months of her life on this earth. And every one of those days was hard. Every one of those days was full of suffering and breathing tubes and multiple surgeries and and I just remember, I remember a lot, <laughs> but it was the most difficult time of our life. And, and, and you guys know, and you men in here, you know, that there's, we're talking to someone after the service, and there's a special connection with moms and their babies. But there's something in us guys that wants to be Superman, right? <laughs> and we want to be that for our wives. And they have that connection, but we have this, like, we're, we're the protectors. That's who we are. And to have things completely out of your hands, and nothing you can do, I'll just say it's a valley. <laughs> it was a valley, and it was, it was hard. And, and my wife, and I talked, and, you know, we, we came through downtown today, which was a, was a breeze, you know, but, but, you know, imagine driving that, going through downtown from the airport, through downtown where the hospital was. My wife would have to go um, every day, and sitting through traffic, and, and do that, and have to bear that, and um, and then we'd come, and we didn't have the answers, and we had these hopes. This is going to happen. Doctors saying this. People are, you know, confident. This is, everything's going to work out. She's going to he- be healed. All these things. Feel like, oh yeah, these moments are going good. And then the valley. But I tell you, and I think a lot of you can testify with me. It's in the valley. It's those times of suffering that you could be drawn closer together like never before. Yes, there's a danger of backing away. There's a danger. We, we heard many stories about couples that ended 
going through something that we went through. But all we need to do is lean into the Lord and lean into one another. And as we did, we grew together. And now I know her so good. I can look at my wife and go, oh, this is what she's feeling. (laughs) This is what she's going, oh, don't mess with her today. (laughs) Or go ahead, poke at her a little bit. She's got a little bit. You do that, right? You learn, people. You learn as you experience life together. The same is true with Jesus. The same is true with Jesus. I believe with all my heart, even to a greater extent, that when we can experience life with him, and when we do, we grow in him. J. Vernon McGee said something I think so brilliant. I agree with wholeheartedly. He said this. He said, I believe that you can know Jesus Christ better than you can know your closest loved one. It's kind of hard for us to imagine that, right? It's like, oh, but I can see them. You know, I'm with them all the time. How can I really know Jesus like that? I mean, I get it. Peter could. He saw everything that he saw. I mean, he got to even walk on water and be pulled up by Jesus. Got to look in his eyes in that moment. Sure, Peter got that. And John, John got to lay his head on Jesus' chest. Hear the very heartbeat of God. I get that. We don't think we can get that close. We can get that close. We can experience Jesus. And when we do, we can grow. And, you know, it's through the good times. It is through the good, the mountaintops. So Psalm 23 moments, you know it, where he takes you to green pastures and besides still waters, everything's flowing. Everything's amazing. It's refreshing. There's supernatural moments. But it's also through the valley of the shadow of death times too that we can grow in our experiential knowledge of him. No matter what, what we have to know is he's always full of strength. He's always good, and he's always ready to pour out compassion upon you. Notice verse 3, the middle part there. It says, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. This is his. (laughs) His glory, his power, his strength, his virtue, which is morality, but it talks about his goodness. That's what virtue is, goodness. That no matter what point, the valley or the mountaintop, Jesus is always strong, and Jesus is always good. I think that's why the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3.10, He said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And you guys, you've studied Paul, I'm sure. He had so much, right? Paul had respect. He had position. He had a brain like no other. He had credentials. He had all that. But what did he say? That's a rubbish. All that is rubbish to me. It doesn't matter what I have, what I've attained to. I just want to know him. I just want to know my Lord and Savior. And he said, you know, if it is a supernatural, glorious experience, if it's a miraculous, if it's those, those built-up times, bring it on. But he also said, if it's the fellowship of suffering, the persecution, the heartache with people that I so desire to see and receive the gospel, they're coming against me. If it's the shipwreck, if it's all these things that I have to go through, if I have to experience all that, I just want to know him. And I don't want to say Paul said, bring it on, but Paul said, bring it on. (laughs) Bring that on because I just want to know him. Because that's what life is about. Life is about knowing him, walking with him, following him. And when we do, we grow in him. How do we grow in him? Of course, it's through prayer, right? Communing with him often, continuously. He's always with us as we do it. You know, 1 Thessalonians, it talks about Praying without ceasing. 
We're to pray without ceasing. So we're always to pray. And, and that's not just like throwing up all our prayer requests. Here we go. I'm going to know you more. Throw, throw, throw this prayer request, this prayer. Deal with that, deal with that. It's also listening. It's only sitting before me. I, I don't know if you could tell, but I got like, kind of like an energy dude. I, like, I have a lot of energy and I talk really fast. It's hard for me to slow down. It is hard for me to slow down. But I need to slow down. And I need to commune with the Lord and let him speak to my heart. That's what we're to do. It's through prayer. Also worship. And I'd say, if, if you, I, I, I used to be a worship guy before I was a teacher. And man, I worship more now being a teacher than I did as a worship leader, I think. Because I, I just know, like I, when the, the worship team leads me into his presence. I know there's many different forms of worship, right? You could, you could serve in worship, presenting our bodies, living sacrifice, worship. We got it. But just engaging with the Lord. Do you do it? Do you do it? It will grow us. It will mature us. Fellowship too. God gifts the church. Fellowship with one another. And obviously time in, in his word. But the way our, our trust is, is going to grow is through this relationship with Jesus. It is this personal relationship with him. John 17.3, you, you know it. Jesus said this, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. When you think of eternal life, what do you think about? You might think about heaven. I think about heaven. That, that inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, that never fades away. That, that's where we're going. Eternal life is heaven. That's true. But Jesus says eternal life is knowing God the Father and Jesus. That's what it is. And when we know him, we will grow in him more and more. He says it again. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us, given not waiting for them, we already have them, exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Now, let me ask you, what precious promises can you think of for you? You know, precious promises are not just things that we pull out of the sky like, oh, I really want this, I really want that. Precious promises are found here. What precious promises do you have here that you hold on to? What are your life verses? It's Romans eight twenty eight one of yours. That God works all things. We know all things work together for good those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What are your life verses? Hebrews 13, 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. <laughs> Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4, 20. God shall supply all needs according to his riches. Do you know that? These are promises. You know that there are thousands, thousands of promises that are given to us in his word. And we are to embrace. And so is the promise that Peter gives us here. And that promise is we are partakers of the divine nature. Now, what does that mean, that we are partakers of the divine nature? Does it mean we become godlike? <laughs> to become like God? Yes, it actually does. As, as children of God, as, God, as Christians, we don't become God. We become like him in the sense that we are his children. And we have been giving, given his divine nature. We have new desires. You guys notice that, right? That as a Christian, you have new a new nature. You have new desires that you didn't have before. It's kind of like why you're here on a Sunday morning instead of recovering or whatever you did before. But you notice those things. Like even, you know, you notice that like you're like, I'm not a singer. There's no way I'm going to sing. But then you come into the sanctuary and the worship team plays and you're like, why is my mouth moving? I'm gonna feel like, I feel like I want to lift my hands and I want to do it because God is so worthy. I'm not a singer. I don't sound great, but he's worth the breath that I have in my lungs, I'm giving it back to him, right? You have this desire for that. And even practical holiness, right? You're like, okay, there's something different. I, I used to do those things, and yes, I still battle with those things that I once did, 
but I, I know that they're wrong. And not only do I know that they're wrong, I feel that they're wrong, that God wants something else, that practical holiness becomes a big deal to us. And yeah, there's a battle, and there's conviction, and, and there's times that we make mistakes, but we, we know that, oh, I want to move forward. And that battle that is a good thing. It's a good thing. And I believe that having this practical holiness, this sense of purity, it's why it's so hard to live in the world that we live in. Because before, these, before we become Christ, we're like, okay, people can do what they want to do. It doesn't matter. Well, whatever, that, that floats their boat, let them go. Go do those things. Now we look at those things and we go, oh. Some of us even get really frustrated. We go, oh, look at what's taking place. Look at all these things, all these agendas that are passing. Oh. And, and that's because we have a new nature in us. And the things that break God's heart are the things that break our hearts as well. We have this new nature. He says in verse four, but which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You know, we're going to live a different life because we have this new nature, the promise of a new nature. Another translation reads this way. It says, these are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. One commentator, he, he wrote like this, and it was, it was great, outstanding. He said, this is the essence of the process of growth for Peter. Every promise that believers have been given is for the purpose of causing us to escape from the corruption of this world and make us like God. That's why we have these promises, to escape the old life and what we used to do and to become more like God. You could name any promise. You can name any promise, and that is true. God works all things together for good. Those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. You can take that, and you can say, oh, if I do this, I'm going to become more like God and less like the world. If I know, which again, the pastor thing, that I am to trust him in the midst of it, then my faith is going to grow. That I'm going to be able to lean on him and not do those other things that I used to do that pulled me back into the way I used to live. Let me close by saying this. There, there, there is a battle. There is a battle that goes on. And you guys, you guys feel it. I know you feel it. We all feel it. Galatians 5 talks about that. Where our flesh is pulling us and our spirit is warring against our flesh. But this tells us here that God has given us everything that we need to walk strong in faith, to make it, to live the life that he's called us to live. And let me say this. If you, if you know Jesus, do it. Grab hold of these promises. You have right now everything you need. All that pertains to life and godliness, you have right now. Now you need to walk in it. Walk in these promises. Grab hold of it and do it. Believe God's word, which says you have everything you need because you do. And I just say, if you don't know the Lord today, why not? <laughs> why not? Whatever you try and fill yourself with will never satisfy. I love when Jesus says in John 10, I have come that they may have life and they might have life more abundantly. You know what the abundant life means? It, it's, it's a life that's overflowing. Does that mean it's perfect, that you're going to be healthy and wealthy and all those things? No. But it means you're going to have Almighty God, the one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, leading and guiding your life, who will be with you every step of the way. And that, you know, what we try and do in our lives is we have this cup, right? And we're trying to find satisfaction. And we can only fill that cup so much. And then we'll try and add other things to it. But you know what? That, that cup will never be full. 
It'll always be depleted. There's like a hole in it. But the cup that he gives us, our lives in Christ, is overflowing. It's overflowing because we have a real relationship with Jesus, the Prince of Peace, God the Son, who did everything in this world to bring us into a relationship with him and the Father. And all we need to do is believe. We talk about repentance. Repentance is turning from our old, old ways and looking to him. And I think, you know, so many times people are like, oh, but this is what I grew up in. This is my identity. This is who I am. This is what I've always been. It's too late. It's not too late. <laughs> my grandpa was 84 years old when he gave his life to Jesus. And he was a hard man all his life, a hard man. And that man changed for those last years of his life to, to one who actually talked about love. And that's because the Lord Jesus changed him when he came into a relationship with him. It's not too late. Oh, my identity is in this. It doesn't have to be. Your identity can be in Jesus. And that's where full satisfaction comes. And that's what he wants for you. And if you don't know him, give your life to him. All you have to do is realize you're a sinner. You're in need of a savior. Jesus is that savior. And he made the way, the only way for salvation possible. And all you have to do is ask him all to recognize that you're a sinner in need of a savior. Turn from your old way, look to him, confess him as Lord and savior, and you will be saved. Amen.